to the 15 volunteers that came yesterday to, um, to serve during Randy Saturday's funeral. We had just an incredible showing of people that came to run light, sound, uh, media, um, to help people find whatever they needed to find, to serve food. And uh, the funeral director uh, from Metter, Georgia, who uh, come down, uh, Kennedy Funeral Home actually, was just so impressed. He said, Pastor, I'm telling you, in fact, he worked a funeral in my last church that I left 23 years ago the day before <laughs> in Claxton there. And uh, he said, you just don't know the places that I go that have absolutely no organizational structure when it comes to these things. He said, we sent you the four songs. Matter of fact, Randy, you know, when he found out the last, when the doctor said, we've done all we can do, this is it. About three or four weeks ago, he met me in my office and said, listen, here's the four songs I've picked out. I want to spend my last night right here. And I want you to preach the funeral if you can. And, um, you know, that, that's pretty much that. And I said, well, Randy, we'll make it happen if the Lord lets me live. And, and so I had a wonderful opportunity to be with him on the day past, actually. I uh, uh, felt compelled to leave and go up there at 1.30. And um, I, got, I went up there around 4, actually. I got there, spoke to him. He was kind of struggling. Um, he was in hospice there. But uh, his sister was there, and um, Tina was there, and she said, Randy, you know who this is that's come to see you? And he mumbled, Pastor. And so uh, he was really struggling, and I just prayed right there. I said, Lord, you know, if, you, if your desire is to take him from this life, I know you could heal him, but if it's your desire to take him, just let it be a smooth transition from here to there. And uh, honestly, Tina could tell you, he just settled down and calmed down. Matter of fact, I thought he was going to slip away right there. But it was during that night, uh, 2.26 in the morning, uh, he went on to be with the Lord. And so we had a wonderful time. And I just want to say, for those who come and made that a special moment, for the visitation Friday night, uh, and I know we ended up having to cancel a birthday party that was here, but obviously the needs of the church <laughs> takes precedence when it comes to something like that. But... Um, the Saturday when you showed such love and such compassion, you just don't know how far it goes if you're just serving chicken or sweet tea or whatever it is that you're doing, that ministry of presence. So I commend you for that. Also, uh, I wanted to mention to you, uh, this coming Wednesday night is um, the first Wednesday in December. So what happens on the first Wednesday, we have Dr. David Cooper. He's going to be with us right here. I'm going to get the privilege of spending a couple hours before service because I'm going to pick him up at the airport. And then when we get through with him, I'm going to take him back to the airport so I can squeeze all the juice out of the orange while I got him here. I'm going to have a litany of questions for him. Anyway, Dr. Cooper pastors of Mount Perrin Church of God. I sure hope he brings his guitar. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, finger style picking guitarist and just all kind of stuff. Anyway, first Wednesday night, be here at 7. Uh, the doors are going to open at 6 o'clock, but I encourage you to be here early. And I know if last week was any, or last month was any indication with uh, Tony Suarez, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And so, um, so be here, and we're going to have a, a great time. Now, one more announcement, and I promise I'll dive into the message. Next Sunday is the Harbor Christmas Cantata. 
for nine or ten songs, and they are incredible. Matter of fact, we have practice today at two o'clock. It seems like Sundays come twice a week, and they last a long time. But nonetheless, the cantata has been practicing, and we're going to utilize a lot of different musicians and uh, singers, as well as the children will join us on the stage. And so uh, we're in for a real treat next Sunday morning right here. So I'm excited about that. And of course, then the following Sunday is going to be the Harbor Kids presentation of Christmas. And so we have a, a special treat there as well. Now, we just finished a series called Unshakable that I had the privilege of writing the foreword to that book, Unshakable. If you're a first-time guest with us, we want to give you one of those books. And so if you'll just meet us at the VIP, as soon as service is over, one of our staff pastors or their wives will be at the VIP center. You just stop by there and give them that, that guest card if you're a first, second, or third time, and they're going to give you a first, second, or third time gift. And so as Brother Richard said a moment ago, if, if you hadn't bought a Christmas gift, you need to give it to somebody, that's okay. We won't hold it against you. So anyway, but we, we dealt with uh, the storms of life. In fact, uh, the 10 most prominent storms that we know for a fact that everybody's going to face at some point or other. And the premise of that book was no matter what storm is, you can survive it if you're on the right foundation. And so that foundation is Jesus Christ, and beside him there is no other. And so I was dealing with, you know, what am I going to preach? We're sort of in between series. That one closed out, and then we've got the, the Christmas stuff starting next week and going through the end of the year. And um, I thought about that. I said, well, you know what? I, I was reading a book by Dr. John Maxwell, which I have followed for years and years and years, and he teaches on the law of a solid foundation. And I got thinking how well that coincides with what we just closed a series about, being unshakable, and the premise being, in order to be unshakable, no matter what storm, if it's grief, if it's lack of purpose, if it's fear, if it's marital problems, if it's financial issues, if it's death, whatever the storm may be, that you can survive it as long as you're on the right foundation. So I got thinking, man, that's what foundation is, uh, solid ground. They don't build buildings on weak ground. And matter of fact, let me just say this. Um, you can, if you would like, you could build a building, your home, your business. You could find the best materials that money could buy. You could find the greatest architect to draw the building and the greatest contractor to construct the building. And you could have the most expensive materials that money could buy in that building. And it could literally be amazing and look immaculate. But if that building is not built on solid ground, it's only a matter of time until it begins to sink and crack and creak and eventually, it will collapse. I don't care what you spent on how beautiful it is and the door looks great and the, the gables look great and all of that is wonderful and storm windows and heavy insulation and all that, but if the foundation is on sand, it's just a matter of time. Because sand cannot withstand the storms of life. So I want to talk with you about this law of solid ground. You see, if you're going to build anything, if you're going to build any structure, it has to be, when we got ready to build this building, we built it up to the height that we had to build it, and then they done a compaction test 
where they come and test it after they beat the dirt down and just packed it and packed it and packed it and tamped it down. They had a compression or a compaction ratio where we had to have a certificate that said that it is compacted to a certain amount in order to withstand the weight of this heavy building. And I'm telling you, uh, you have to build on solid ground. If you don't build on solid ground, your investment is wasted. It's only a matter of time. So let me give you an example of one of the greatest, the greatest example I know in biblical writing is a man by the name of Samson. And he is a wonderful guy set, set up and destined to be great. Matter of fact, if I could run you to the New Testament real quick and give you just a quick comparison of a New Testament guy that I believe kind of mirrors him in his start, you know who it would be? John the Baptist. It'd be John the Baptist. You know why? Because Samson, uh, like John the Baptist, had an angel that come to his mother and to his daddy and said, you're going to have a child. And, and matter of fact, I believe she was barren as well as Elizabeth was barren, John's mother. And then this child is going to be great. And God said, the destiny of this child will be this. He will begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now the Philistines was a group of people that had that God had allowed to oppress Israel because Israel, like many of us, kind of got fat, dumb, and happy with their relationship with God. What I mean by that, everything was going right and they didn't feel like they needed God. So they just done what they wanted to. So God, oftentimes, one time he used uh, the, the Babylonians, he used the Chaldeans, he used the Assyrians, he used the Midians, he used the Philistines, shall I go on? The Egyptians, and on and on. And God would use these people to, to buffet and to get after Israel so that Israel would do like we do when we get in trouble. Cry back to God. Fall on our knees and say, God, we thought we had it figured out, but we, did, we didn't really have it figured out. We really need you. And so that's what Israel would do. And so the Bible said that God sent an angel to Samson's mother and dad to tell him this child is going to be set and his destiny is that he will be the one to begin the deliverance from the Philistines that have oppressed Israel all these years. And it was such an important announcement that God says to this angel, the angel says to mom and dad, he is such a special child that three requirements are upon him. It's called a Nazarite vow. Number one, he can never touch wine or strong drink. A lot of us are disqualified already. You know, we can't never touch wine or strong drink, ever. Number two is he cannot ever shave his hair, ever. A razor shall never touch his head. I told the first service, my mama never got that memo because I wanted to just grow my hair, you know, back when I could, about halfway of my ears. Mama wasn't having none of that. She was real legalistic back in the day. I'm glad she got over it. But I'm too old now to worry about that and, uh, and don't have the hair like I used to. But, but nonetheless, no strong drink, no wine, so, so alcohol or no razor shall be upon your head and you shall never touch a dead animal or anything dead that would make you unclean. Are you with me? So this is the thing. And God says, this man is going to be so great, I'm going to be with him. And let me just go ahead and show you what the Bible says in Judges 13 and 24. Now let me just say this. I wish I could preach all of this because man is about a, 
I don't know, a two-night revival worth of preaching right here, and I don't have all that time, but I'll say this. It starts in Judges 13 and goes through 16 is what you need to read. But at the end of Judges 13, after the angel has come and give this announcement, and they made a big offering, and the angel consumed that offering with a flame. In fact, the angel said, don't make me no offering, but just offer it unto the Lord. And the Lord accepted that offering, and they were celebrating. They were so glad, and they were great. And, you know, we have a child, and God's going to use this child. But here's what I want you to understand. Um, what blows my mind is he had the greatest start of anybody I know of in the Bible, and how could someone who had such a great start, such a promising start, finish so poorly? The Bible says this. In Judges 13 and 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So in other words, he's gotten a little bit of age now. He's come up a little bit. And the angel had given this message to his mother and dad. And the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord just began to stir him. You know, I'm thinking about Samson. You remember Samson? Not, not Samson, but Samuel. Samuel, who was one of the judges of Israel as well. Samuel, the Bible said before, uh, the, when the, temp, the lamp of God almost went out at the altar, God revealed himself to Samuel, who did not yet know the Lord, and God began to stir him. So God has already proclaimed several years ago that I'm going to use Samson, and then the Spirit of the Lord begins to stir him. But I wonder, how could he have started so strong? Like John the Baptist, who was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who was to preach, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight his path. This was John's assignment. John fulfilled his. Samson, not so much. Somebody who was destined, I believe, to be one of the most prolific leaders of all of Israel. One of the most fruitful leaders. I mean, he had the promise. I mean, he had the prophecy. He had everything upon him. Here's the deal. He would not stay on solid ground. He would not stay on solid ground. Let me explain this. <clears throat> so that is not to say, please don't misunderstand me, that God did not use him. Because if you read this, you're going to find that he's going to do some things, even some very questionable things. And the Spirit of God continued to use him, even though he'd done some crazy things. Let me make a statement real quick. I want you to understand that the delay of God's judgment is not equal to the denial of God's judgment. What I'm saying is God will oftentimes allow you to go on in your foolishness. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, my dad said to me one night, I, I was acting out somewhere where we was at, and he pointed at me and he said, you're going to get a whipping when we get home. I thought, oh my God, because my dad was not one to tell no stories. I mean, if he said it, you could guarantee it. He believed in that. So anyway, I got home. And I slipped on off the bed. And I got to sleep, and he got to sleep. He got up the next morning. I went to school, and he went to work. And all that, he come home. And when he got home, um, he said, son, go in my bedroom and bring me that white belt. And I'm thinking to myself, what have one of my sisters done? I mean, and I brought that belt back, and he said, son, you remember last night when I told you you were going to get a whipping when you get home? I said, oh, yeah. I, I. He said, well, it's time. I ain't forgot about it. And I was thinking, 
He said, I would have lied to you if I don't do it. And I was going to pray, Lord, just go ahead and forgive him. Because, I mean, he didn't have to whip me, right? And, you know, he said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you and all that. Which, you know, I thought was a lie until I got a little older. But anyway, what I'm saying is he believed in that. And just because it was delayed a few hours, it was not denied. And while we do things oftentimes and we look around at other, sometimes Christian people look at, at people that claim to be a Christian, they live in like hell and we say, look at them, man. They seem to get all the fine cars. They got all the right men, the right women. They got this, they got that, and they live like the devil. David said, fret not thyself because of evildoers. He said, because I used to do that. I used to fret because of what other people were doing. He said, but then I went to the house of God and I understood their end. Amen. You can play that game for a little while, but eventually it'll catch up to you. So let, let me try to move on and make some sense out of this so I don't have you here till dark. Despite Samson's calling and the destiny that he found himself in, he had a destiny, a God-given destiny announced by an angel, witnessed by the stirring of the Spirit upon him, but he continued to cross the line again and again and again. His destiny was to be a deliverer of Israel from the Philistines. But let me say this, and we're going to put it on the screen. God gave me this just recently. You cannot deliver from something that you keep flirting with. Ooh. You cannot deliver from something that you keep flirting with. It'll make sense as we go along. He should have been trustworthy, but he proved to be anything but he was impetuous, he was volatile, Samson was lustful, he was moody, emotional, unpredictable. Nobody could figure him out. Not his wife, not, not his father-in-law, not the Israelites. Eventually his own people would turn him over to the Philistines. Nobody could figure him out. He was just volatile, you just never knew what he was going to do. And his untrustworthiness extended not just to himself and to his wife and to Israel, but it also extended to God. Most often it happens that way. You know, you look at somebody, if they sort of keep themselves sort of shabby and out of shape, and they don't care what they look like, probably their car don't look any better when they get in there and there's junk everywhere and cheeseburgers in the back seat. And then when you go home, you wonder, oh my Lord, the living room's a wreck, the bedroom's a wreck because it just sort of bleeds over. I hope that didn't hit nobody. I just sort of kept looking straight back and forth like a radar. But anyway, if it did, just uh, if the shoe fits, get you some. Right, but he was uncertain. We well, see when we, uh, when we allow things to go south in this area, and we sort of cover for it, it always shows up somewhere else. And so he he started doing some things that he shouldn't do, and and he began. To, for instance, he's walking one day, and he's headed to a place that he really shouldn't be headed, and he goes down that way, and a lion comes out against him. He's going to see a woman of Philistia. First of all, he wasn't supposed to be doing that. Are y'all with me? But he's going down and a lion comes out against him and he kills the lion with his bare hands. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. The Spirit of the Lord come upon him in order to do that. So he killed the lion. There's the lion laying dead. He goes and gets with this woman over in uh, Philistia. And he goes back and tells his mom and dad, I want you to come and meet this girl. I'm going to marry her. Another wrong thing. He's on, he, he left solid ground. He's on sketchy foundation now. He's doing things that he should not do. So he comes back by and some honeybees have, 
put a hive right in the carcass of this lion. So what does he do? He reaches into that carcass and grabs some honey and gives his mom and dad, and they're walking along. He's just now touched a dead carcass, and he knew better. He's broken his vow. Notwithstanding, he broke his vow with his woman down here too. Are y'all with me? And so he decides to marry a Philistine woman, and uh, he wasn't supposed to do that either. But then he threw a party, and all of them got drunk. It's just getting quiet now. But so he has now, he's partaken, you know, he's touched dead things. He's, he's you know, married outside what he should have done. He goes down and throws a feast, and they drink, and they get drunk. And so he's broken all of these vows. So as it bleeds over, and we justify what we do, and we justify this, and, we, and that's what he's done. He's justified everything. And again, remember the delay, the, the, the delay of the judgment is not the denial of judgment. But let me, let me share something with you real quick. And I shared this uh, several Wednesday nights ago, and I think that it's worth sharing again. We have to stay on solid ground. John Maxwell tells a story of John Bassano, who's a young guy in his 20s. He was going to college, and the Lord called him to preach. And John Bassano called his father-in-law, and, who was a pastor as well, and he said, he said, Papa, God's called me to preach. I'm so excited about it. And his father-in-law got to him and said, John, I hate to tell you this, but this is how it's going to be. He said, right now you're in your 20s. He said, but by the time you're 65, there will only be one out of every 10 people that start in the ministry. Only one out of 10 will still be in the ministry when they turn 65. And when he was in the 20s in Bible school, he had wrote 25 names down in his Bible on the inside cover. And he opened that Bible up, and he says to John Maxwell, he said, I'm not yet 65 years old, and already 20 of these names are scratched out. There's only five left, and I'm not yet 65. So he was trying to show the importance of finishing well. And uh, so that's what we have to hear. Proverbs 10 and 17 says, The one who heeds instruction is on his way to life, but the one who rejects rebuke goes astray. Listen, if somebody is trying to correct you, be corrected. There's nothing wrong with that. You're learning. You see, you're, you're gaining knowledge. And if somebody's just a know-it-all jerk, let that go in one ear and out the other. I mean, but if someone's really trying to, you see, because of all of Samson's flaws, if, of all of the things that he'd done, if I could pinpoint one thing about Samson that held him back, and it was this, he was unteachable. He had an unteachable spirit. Now, it didn't start out this way, but he, he got here. He had an unteachable spirit. I tell our HLA, that's the Harbor Leadership Academy, I say, here's what an unteachable spirit is. If I show you how to do something, uh, or another leader shows you how to do something one time, and you insist on doing it another way, and then two times, and then three times, after about the third time, I've determined you have an unteachable spirit and don't want to learn. Maybe it's just I'm, I'm right, and I just feel like I'm going to do it this way. No, be coachable. Be coachable, but Samson had an unteachable spirit, and no matter what happened to him, for the good or the bad, he never seemed to get any wiser. He continued down his own path, in his own direction, doing his own thing. He lived for his own desires as if that was all that mattered. He crossed the line over and over and over again. He never learned anything by his mistakes. The lion and the honey, then going to a prostitute, marrying a Philistine woman, 
He marries a Philistine woman. He goes back, and when he comes back, her, his father-in-law has actually given her to a companion of his. And that made him so mad, he decided to, to kill a bunch of folks. In fact, you know, he told a riddle. And um, then his wife said, hey, you, you hadn't told me that riddle. And he didn't really want to tell her because he knew that he was going to pose the riddle to her people. And what did she do? She told him what the riddle was. And so with that being said... Uh, he had made a bet if they could guess that riddle, he would give 30 men 30 chains of clothes. So what did he do? He, they're again impetuous and uh, impetuous and doing whatever he wanted to do. Once they won, because his wife backstabbed him, he went and killed 30 men to get their clothes to pay his bet. And he said, wait a minute, the Spirit of God still dealing? Yeah, he's still, God's still giving him opportunities. Remember, the, of, the delay is not the denial of judgment. So, so he's got all this. Here, here's the thing. I want you to know in all of the instances, there's several things he did. He kills a lion. He kills 30 men for their clothes. There'll be a time, and I'll mention in just a moment, when his own people decide to turn him over to the Philistines and they come to get him. He breaks two brand new ropes, picks up a jawbone of an ass, and kills a thousand men. All of these things he does. He goes to a prostitute. And when he's with this prostitute, he gets caught with this prostitute. And what does he do? He grabs the whole bar and gate of the city, takes it on his shoulders and walks to the top of the hill. In all of these things he does, God's given him all kind of might and all kind of strength and all kind of ability. And you know what he does? He never one time acknowledges that it's the power of God. Never one time does he give God the credit for it. It's all about Samson. And let me say this. You are on dangerous ground if you have to have the credit for everything that gets done in God's name. You're on dangerous ground if you have to have the credit for everything that gets, God, gets done in God's name. You see, Samson never acknowledged it was God. And so there was one time he took 30 foxes, or 300 foxes rather. He ties their tails together and ties a torch to it. And, and he's mad because of, you know, uh, his father-in-law giving his wife to another man. And so he burns down all of their olive groves, all of their vineyards. The people got so mad they killed uh, the wife and her father. And so instead of being deliverer, he, he, he's just wreaking havoc. His whole place, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. So Samson's own people says, you can't stay with us no more. We're going to turn you over. Um, we're going to deliver you. And that's when he killed a thousand men. Listen, but for all of these things, matter of fact, one more time, after he killed a thousand men, he went to a place called Lehi. And when he was at Lehi, he told God, I'm thirsty. You know what God did? God opened up a well right there and he drank from that. And God quenched his thirst. He never one time acknowledged it was God that gave him the strength to kill a thousand men. He never one time acknowledged to the people that this was all about God, but everything was about Samson. He had the greatest start of anybody I know in Scripture. How did he end up so poorly? Let me go on. You see, what does it mean to be unteachable? Unteachable means when I've got, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care who my instructor is. I don't care what he says or she says. I know best. <clears throat> You see, when someone proves to be unteachable, there's little that can be done for them. You just have to let them go. So here's what you need to know. Here, you see, living a life on solid ground is possible. You can live on solid ground. And, and to live on solid ground, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Let me, let me help you understand this. Living on solid ground doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we acknowledge God and His Word. So if I'm live, living on solid ground uh, and something happens in my life, I take the Word of God. And then I look at myself. 
Have you ever met people, and I want y'all to just look straight ahead at me because you'll get in trouble if you start looking at people right here. You ever seen people who have never done no wrong? Or if they did, they ain't going to admit it. And then they raise children that ain't never done no wrong either. And they don't want nobody to ever get on to them. They don't want nobody to ever discipline them. Let me tell you something. John Sainz, that was my father. He didn't have no problem, man. He signed that permission slip every year. Tear his tail up and call me. Now, one of them left a bruise on my sister one time, and he almost went to jail because <laughs> he come to the schoolhouse to fight. I'm telling you. So that's another story. I ain't got time right now. But, so he ain't going to put up with no abuse, not whatsoever. But discipline, buddy, he believed in that. Anyway, so, uh, but, but the law of solid ground. Um, and if I'm on solid ground, I don't have to be perfect to be on solid ground, but I do have to do this. I got to look at myself objectively, and I got to say, Am I right? Am I in line with the Word of God? Or have I done wrong? And if I have, then I have to admit where I am. I have to admit where I am. i got to say I was wrong. And ask God to help me. Are you with me? So they accept people that's on solid ground. They accept the Word of God. And they allow the Word of God to convict them and to convince them of where they are. Let me say this. In construction, the builder never moves the line over to the wall that he messed up. No. He has to tear these bricks down or these studs down and move it to the line that was established. The Bible is the line. We don't pull the line to us. We go to the line. That was a great place for an amen. So, but when people on solid ground mess up, when they blow it, they admit their mistakes and they work to ensure that they don't happen again. Why do I need to know that? Because some people think i got to be perfect to be on solid ground. You don't have to be perfect to be on solid ground. I mean, that, that's going to rule all of us out. But to be on solid ground just simply means this, that we, we, we look at it objectively, and we take the blame when we are wrong. Woo, that was a tough one right there. I felt it sort of shake back at me off the back wall. You see, the truth is that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We've all had bad behavior and disobedience. But I can tell you this. If we ever get to the place where we can say, I'm going to be on God's ground. I'm going to be on solid ground. God can use you then. I think about Samson, this great guy that, I mean, look at him. He started better than anybody I ever know. But he throws his life and leadership away by touching dead things, breaking the vow. By drinking alcohol. He was not supposed to touch wine or alcohol, strong drink. He wasn't supposed to, but he did. Again, I will say this, you cannot deliver from, he was supposed to be a deliverer, but you cannot deliver from what you continue to flirt with. He had a weakness for Philistine women. Matter of fact, not only this first one, but they found him in the prostitute's house. He's down at the whorehouse. Y'all, excuse me, that's where he was at. So there he is, and when he's caught, he, 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 he always resorts to violence. And he never gives God credit for anything. Matter of fact, he's doing things that really discredit God. But God goes a long way to try to reach him. And you know what he does? So here's what I need you to do. Since we know that we need to be on solid ground, we don't have to be perfect to be on solid ground, how do we get there? 
you know what we have to do? We just have to get in the light of God and say, God, show me the flaws that's in me. Show me the shortcomings and the failures and help me to make sure that I'm on solid ground. Don't let me make excuses for myself. Don't, don't let, let me hem myself in in some pretend safe area over here knowing I'm living wrong. Help me, God. Examine me, Lord. So let me tell you about Samson. He meets a girl by the name of Delilah. They see she is one hot mama now. From all I can tell. I ain't got no pictures, but from what scholars say, she was beautiful. And he had this, he had this uh, weakness for beautiful women. Hey, um, how many hunters we got? Come on, right now. Y'all know what the rut season's like, right? Yep. That's what gets big deer killed. These great deer that will go places and stay longer than they would have ever stayed and show up places they would have never shown up before. And when they show up, they stay longer than they would have ever stayed before. And they hear a noise or they smell something that just ain't right. But whoo, that's a hottie right over there. And so eventually, he's mounted on somebody's wall. You see, Samson is with Delilah. And just like his wife earlier said, Samson, you don't love me or you'd have told me your riddle. So he told the riddle and of course she told her people and eventually, you know, it caused problems. Delilah said, Samson, if you love me, you'd tell me, you'd tell me why you're so strong. So he, you know how he was. He's just getting a little bit closer and closer to the line. He said, well, you know, if you, if you were to take brand new ropes and tie me, I'd be as weak as another man. So they got him, brand new, I believe green ropes, got him and bound him. And then she says, after she's tied him, she's got all the Philistine men outside Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he just, he broke the ropes apart like they were nothing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now I want you to understand this guy is in, he's up to his eyeballs on sketchy ground and God's still trying to deal with him, trying to help him. She comes up with another thing. Samson, you don't really love me. If you did, you would tell me, you have tricked me. You've made light of me. And she said something else, um, I can't remember bowstrings or something like that. But anyway, she's got them, bound them up, tied them up. Samson, the Philistines are upon thee. He broke them. Just like, you know, string when it hits whack or uh, fire. Just broke. She says, Samson, you don't love me. If you, and every day, she just nagged and nagged at him and said, if you really love me, you'd tell me. You would think Samson would have been wise enough to know she's trying to tell me, I mean, she's trying to trap me. But when you get in that buck rut mindset, you ain't thinking about no tricks. Like, not well, you might be thinking about tricks, but not that trick. I'm gonna need a drink of water. So Samson is there. She said, if you love me, you'd tell me. So finally he breaks down and says, I'm going to come clean with you. He said, before I was born, an angel come to my mom and daddy and said, this boy you're carrying will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. He's so special that there's special rules that cover him. 
He is never to drink strong drink or wine. He's never to touch a dead animal. And never shall a razor ever touch his head. Now at this point, he had already touched a dead animal. And he had already been drunk several times. But there was one little link between him and God that was just left unbroken. There's this one thing. He said, never has a razor ever touched my head. And she sort of petted him to sleep right there, baby. That's all right. Mama's got you. And that's mycology. You won't find that in the Bible. But as she began to just pet him to sleep, they tie him up good and tight. He's resting right now in Delilah's lap. And they take a razor and they shave his hair. And she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon thee. I could imagine. Brothers, how many of you, now I don't have to shave mine anymore because it's natural, but if you had a lot of hair, I remember when I went to boot camp, the first thing I done was, oh my God. And I imagine he done that. But you know what? He fooled himself into thinking. You know what he did? He jumped straight up out of her lap. He sort of just went outside and he's bound. He went outside and he was going to shake himself like he had done all these other times. And though he had slept with this woman he shouldn't have and though he had drank things he shouldn't have and touched dead things and he shouldn't have and God was working with him and working with him and giving chance after chance after chance after chance, all of a sudden the delays have run out. And he wished not, he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And he grabbed with himself and shook himself, but his hands wouldn't come apart. And I imagine he tried again and he, with everything in him, but they would not come apart. And out of behind the rocks and from behind the building, all of a sudden the Philistines begin to come in on him, just converge on him. No need to try to run now, Samson. That superman strength you had's gone. You know why? That super God that you serve, you never acknowledged him. That's mycology now. That's not in the book. I'm saying he never acknowledged that his strength came from God. Now they grab him and they carry him away. Where do they carry him? They carry them, him to the prison house. And there's a, there's a wheel. If you could picture this wheel with spokes about 10 foot this way. You know, another spoke and another spoke and another spoke. Kind of like the way you used to grind cane for you old timers. You might understand what I'm talking about. And they would tie the prisoner out here for the leverage. They would tie him and shackle him to the wheel. And another prisoner, another, all the way around. And they caused them to walk around all day long, grinding at the mill. Not only that, they gouged out his eyes. Makes it harder to run if you can't see. So he finds himself now, he had a destiny to be a deliverer of Israel. He had the greatest start in the history of man in the Old Testament. How does he end so poorly? Now God's going to help him, but because here's the deal. The Bible said they gouged out his eyes and they caused him to grind at the meal. But if you read that, he began to pray. It's the first time we really see Samson praying. 
He says, God, I'm going to ask you to avenge me from my two eyes. I'm going to ask you to let your strength come back upon me one more time like it used to. Would you do that, Lord? And here's the passage. It said, how be it his hair began to grow again. And I don't remember the exact day, but they had a festival. And they sent for the prisoner from Israel. They said, bring him because he's the one that created, he burned our, our, our uh, fields down. He killed our olive groves and all of the things. He killed 30 men. He killed 1,000 men. He done this. He done that. We're going to just make sport of him today. In other words, we're going to put him out here on display with his gouged out eyes and no strength. And we're just going to make him the laughing stock of Philistia. So they sent to get him. And they brought him to the area where they were at. And there was a huge building. It had upper levels, big, huge colonnades and people. 3,000 people. Can you imagine? That's a big building back in those days. 3,000 people are there or more. And he says to the young lad, I want you to place my hand near the pillows that support the building. And so this young boy brought him and put his hand on the one, his hand on the other. And there, in front of everybody, when they were laughing and jeering and sneering, and here he is, this man that had such a wonderful opportunity. But now he's prayed. He's asked God, avenge me again, Lord, just for my two eyes and let me die with the Philistines. And it's going to bring honor to God. And with all of his mighty pressed and the Spirit of the Lord come upon him again. And he pushed the pillar temples or the temple pillars apart and died with the Philistines. 3,000 people died that day. But I want to ask you this. That's what happened for a man who was on sketchy ground. That did, He never really lived a life on solid ground. What could he have done if he had stayed on solid ground? What could he have done if he had kept his relationship right with God? Now let me say this. He had an opportunity to repent. We don't always get that opportunity. But here's what I need to say. If you're going to do anything for God, if you're going to make a difference, you're going to have to build your life on solid ground. Because I mentioned earlier, you can build a house with the most beautiful stonework, the most beautiful roof, the most beautiful windows and everything. You can build your life with this and that and the other, all kind of education, all kind of accolades and degrees and all of that. But if it's not built on Jesus Christ, it's only a matter of time until it crumbles. And that is indeed what happened at that great house that night. Everything crashed down. And that's what will happen to a life that is not built on solid ground. On the other side of that, if you're on solid ground, there's nothing that can come nigh you that will take you out. Nothing. If you're on the right foundation, you're going to be able to stand the test of time no matter what the storm is. Would you stand with me this morning? My heads are bowed. If you're here and say, Pastor, pray for me.
I really need to find myself on solid ground. How about you, sir, ma'am? I really need to find myself on solid ground. Maybe I'm in a sketchy place right now. Is there anybody? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. That's the place, I'm going to tell you, until we admit where we are, we can never fix it. Until we own it. That's, that's the deal with solid ground type people. They're able to look at it and say, you know what? I need to shore this up. Others live in this state of euphoria like it's all going to work out. Everything's going to be cool. That's not necessarily the case. Let me pray for you, Father. In Jesus' name. For everyone that's raised their hand, Lord, that's on sketchy ground right now, they know better than I where they're at with you. Lord, we, aren't, we, we certainly understand that we cannot be a deliverer from something that we're continually involved with. We cannot deliver from that that we flirt with. I pray, God, that you would help us to stand on solid ground, on firm ground, to be the man and woman of God that you've called us to be. Pray, Lord, that you would help us, God, because just like Samson, you had a destiny for him as you do for us. No telling what Samson could have done. He may have been named along with names like David and Solomon and Moses. Instead, he's pretty much just a footnote of one of the judges. But oh God, what could he have done if he would have stayed on solid ground? Help us, Lord, to do what we need to do to get on and stay on the solid rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.